Good to see everybody here tonight. This has been a wonderful uh, study, uh, this wonderful book, God working through His Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit given to the apostles through the church, um, the Lord at work, and we see the the unfolding of the early history of the Christian church. Uh, we we see and hear the message that was preached. We see the difficulties, uh, the persecutions that took place. We see the challenges without and within the church. And uh, tonight will be really no different, just different, different place, different places. Um, so if you want to, if you want to hold your place there in Acts 17 and just look, look at the map there. It's the last map in my Bible. I don't know. I don't even know if you have this map. I trust you do, but the maps are interesting to look at and we kind of get a, get our bearings on where Paul and Silas, Timothy, uh, where they are located. So uh, if you find, uh, well, Macedonia, because they've already heard the Macedonian call or Paul saw that vision of the man from Macedonia saying, come on over and help us. So we're in the in Macedonia. So on my map, that's on the left side of the map or, or the west side of the map. And there you'll find Philippi, and that we put uh, Philippi with Acts chapter 16, but they continue to move. Uh, we're looking for Thessalonica, which is just southwest of Philippi, not quite due west, but just southwest of Philippi. And Thessalonica was a, it was a significant city. It was controlled by Rome, but as you can tell, it's in Macedonia or Greece. Uh, but it's on the Ignatian Way. It was a, you know, a trade route went through there. And that's where we find this team, Paul's uh, apostolic band or his team of uh, evangelists in Thessalonica. And then we'll find them and follow them to Berea, which is a little bit further, actually about 50 miles uh, west, uh, southwest of Thessalonica is Berea. Berea was not on a major way or a major highway. It was more off, kind of off the beaten path and smaller uh, in significance than uh, Thessalonica, but those two places, Thessalonica, then Berea, and then Athens, which you just go south, basically southeast a little bit, and it's right down there uh, near the Aegean Sea, and that's the three cities that we find in Acts 17, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. So we've got our work cut out for us tonight. We'll pick it up there in verse 1 and read and just huddle over God's word and 
see what he has for us tonight. Uh, we've got three points, um, and we'll, we'll look at those and trust that we'll be encouraged. Beginning with verse 1 of Acts 17, I'll read uh, through verse 15. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So these Jews had been scattered from their homeland, and every time there's a there, every time Paul finds a synagogue in a place in a city, he goes to that synagogue first. There's a, there's freedom. There was freedom for someone who was skilled in. Uh, public speaking to just go in and they would have an opportunity to speak. The people were open to hearing someone who had, say, Paul's credentials. And then that carried over really into the early church. We don't, we don't experience that so much in our day, that kind of freedom where, you know, you can stand up or you have an invitation to stand up and give your thoughts. We, but back then it was, you know, Paul would go in and he would pretty much be guaranteed an opportunity to speak. And you know what he was going to do. He's going to take their Bible, which was his Bible. It was Old Testament. And he was going to show them Jesus. He was going to say, look, here's where your Bible says the Messiah is going to come. This is how he's going to come. This is what he's going to do. And then Paul would say, and your Messiah has already come. And your Messiah is Jesus, because Jesus is the one who was that uh, suffering servant in Isaiah 53. He's the one that was crushed for our iniquities. He's the one uh, that uh, endured the pain of death uh, for sinners. So, so this is important, and we see it time and again. Now, if there's no synagogue, that means there's not... A, a, 10 Jewish families to constitute a synagogue. And we saw one place where a church was raised up, but they didn't have a synagogue. It was Philippi, where Paul goes down by the riverside. And there is where the gospel was preached. And there's where Lydia, uh, well, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the gospel. So we just pause there to recognize once again, there was a synagogue there a synagogue of the Jews, and verse 2, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, 
and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now, it is interesting, the wording there, when they talk about Caesar, of course, this is a serious charge. Um, and they bring in their king, they bring his name up and they say that, you know, Paul's talk, he's come here and he's talking about another king and the another here is not another king of the same kind. It's another king of a different kind of a higher authority. And that would be Jesus. And so we see that they stirred up the crowd in verse eight. And the city authorities who heard these things, uh, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Uh, We think that was an agreement that Paul and Silas would leave and not return. They really did not, uh, these Jews did not welcome Paul, even though there were some results there. Uh, Some were persuaded, verse 4. Uh, and a a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women right there. So there's there's at least a a portion of those people that believe and they receive Christ, but there are some that are not happy that uh, Paul and Silas were there and Paul specifically was preaching Jesus. And uh, we think there was an agreement that They shouldn't come back or wouldn't come back to uh, Thessalonica. So they move on. Paul moves on to Berea, he and Silas. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. So we think their lives are threatened. And they sent them away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So here again, they come to a place that they haven't been before. Their their chief aim is to spread the gospel. And there's a synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. That's interesting. That's That's a... high compliment that these Jews were more noble-minded. We'll read on in the Bible, the scriptures itself will explain what that means, that they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For, there he is, he's going to tell us the reason. For they received the word with great eagerness. So they're just on the edge of their seat, so to speak, they're eager to hear what Paul has to say. The Bible goes on to say they're examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they're not just going to take what he says and either and make some kind of judgment, whether positive judgment or negative one. They're not just going to hear it 
and receive it or hear it and reject it without examining the scriptures daily. So this has piqued their interest. They are eager. They want to know the truth. And they're going to go, they're going to hear what Paul has to say. They're going to go back to their scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament, to see whether these things were so. Therefore, so what's the outcome of this? Therefore, many of them believed. And that word uh, believe there come is uh, pistuo, and it means to be all in. It means to fully trust, like you are fully trusted, trusting that chair that you're sitting in. You don't halfway sit down. I don't know many people that do that. You trust it, you sit down, the full weight is on that chair. And that is what it means to believe in Christ. That's a little picture of being all in for Jesus We trust him, we believe in him, we stake our existence on him, both the here and now and the eternal, uh, on Jesus. So therefore, many of them believed right there in Berea, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So we know that in these synagogues, you you have the Jews... And they're into their Judaism and they follow all the, all the holy days, all the celebrations, all the rituals, all of that. But there were also God-fearing people who would come and a lot of the, some of the Gentiles, they, they would be interested, they want to hear their God-fears, but they're not ready to join Judaism. But they were welcomed there in the synagogue. So when you read, well, there were some Greeks that received. Well, they they would have been God-fearing people at the synagogue. But when the Jews, uh, here we go. But when the Jews of Thessalonica, well, I thought we left Thessalonica a while ago. It's 50 miles away. Who's got time for this? I mean, I guess they do. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also. So word traveled. We do have evidence for that in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says in the first chapter that their faith has sounded forth throughout the whole world, the the known world at that time. Uh, So it probably wouldn't have taken long for it to go 50 miles and for these people to hear that some good things, at least in Paul's mind and in God's heart, were happening in Berea. There were people receiving Jesus. You know, they, when, you, when you read here in verse 13, uh, they found out that the word of God, uh, this is synonymous with the gospel, with the gospel of Jesus. This is the focus of the preaching of the apostles, and in this instance, Paul. So the word of God is the gospel of Jesus. And uh, when they heard that it had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well. Uh, Were they wanting to bring apologies? (laughs) Were they wanting to make amends? (laughs) No, they were not. Right there it is, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And uh, this seems to be their, um, you know, their... 
just something that they like to do, their stock and trade. Because if you look back in verse 5, but the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace. I love the King James translation here. Some of the baser sort, I think it says. The wicked men of the marketplace is an NASB. Um, They formed a mob. So they're stirring up the crowd and... At that time in Thessalonica, and they set the city in an uproar, attacking the house of Jason, who was just a host of, uh, of Paul and Silas. And here, these same folks, we have to believe, are agitating and stirring up the crowds in Berea. I mean, this is, uh, this is something else. They, they're, um, they're, they're definitely focused on uh, making life difficult for uh, the apostle. Uh, Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. It's interesting that Luke doesn't really tell us. He's not as detailed here as he is in other places and telling us what port city he's in. In fact, he doesn't even tell us that Paul set sail here. There's some question as to whether he got on a boat and took off or whether he stayed by land. We don't know. He went as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now, those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. So, evidently, he went as far as the sea, which was Athens, which is toward the Aegean Sea. So we see Paul at Berea. We see Paul, we will see him at Athens. We have seen him there in Thessalonica. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time uh, in your word. Now as we uh, continue, help us uh, to be encouraged. Uh, Help us, Lord, to have a focus on spreading the gospel. Help us to realize that responsibility. Help us uh, to uh, be unflagging in that aim that, that folks should hear and know the gospel of Jesus, the word of God, and be saved. Uh, So we thank you for this historical account. We thank you for your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that I noticed from this is the difficulties inherent in the gospel ministry, in the spread of the gospel. I mean, it's all laid out for us so nicely here in the book of Acts. We have seen Paul uh, in great turmoil and physical stress. We see this taking place at Thessalonica. This was pretty serious. You go on back to Philippi. There was difficulties there. He, He and Silas are in the innermost dungeon. The difficulties that are inherent in the gospel. I think we should take account of those difficulties and appreciate the grace that God has given us 
and continue forward in spreading the gospel and taking the personal responsibility of our testimony, of the testimony God's given you, the testimony God's given me, and to be focused in bringing the word of God to others in spite of the difficulties. So I think sometimes we get, we hit that resistance and you just like, wow, is it going to be like this every time? Well, it may be. But it's also possible, it's likely that we should be involved in doing difficult things. Evangelism has its difficulties. Uh, We should recognize that and we should overcome those difficulties. Continue on. Well, I got the cold shoulder. Well, Paul got some cold shoulders. You know, we can be encouraged by what we read here. He... uh, He continues on. So there are difficulties. We never know really what the response is going to be from someone. You don't know. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share the gospel. Give the word. I'm reminded of the the fair booth that we do in the summer at the DeKalb County. They still call it a free fall fair. Um. It's, it's what a privilege and what a pleasure to speak God's word at 14th and Cedar during that week. And we see quite a number of people and it's good. But, you know, when someone doesn't act interested or, you know, or doesn't stop or doesn't want to really doesn't want to listen, uh, you know, you just have to take it in stride and. You know, we, we believe we, we, we try to be prayed up before that encounter and we give it to God. It's in his hands. I think Paul learned to do that. I think he learned to expect some positive. He learned to expect that there would be people who received Jesus and there would be people who would not receive Jesus. And then there would be people who just get downright angry at him. And they would really make life difficult. Uh, these Jews following him 50 miles to Berea. 50 miles. Oh, it's you again. You're here. You're right here. What are we doing? I mean, that is, that's, and I think he had to put up with more of that than what we just see here. I think uh, some have speculated. I don't quite agree with it, but. Some speculated that this was his thorn in the flesh. I think his thorn in the flesh was more flesh, but this could have been related to it. You know, this was difficult. These Jews continuing to drag Paul down, continuing to oppose him. Uh, nevertheless, you know, he, he continues on. And uh, that's a, it's a wonderful, he, he gets, sets a great example for us and a great, Uh, as far as just sharing the gospel and being steady in that. The second thing we see are the surprising joys of uh, sharing Jesus, of speaking the word of God. And we see it right here in Berea. Berea was kind of off the beaten path, wasn't uh, looked at as a uh, very sophisticated place. But something really sweet happened here in Berea. And it's so sweet that we reference Berea a lot. 
We'll say, as believers, we want to be good Bereans. We want to hear the word and we want to examine the scriptures to see if those things are so. We're not just going to take uh, what is said at face value. We're going to look in the book. We're going to see if it matches the word. And that's what we should do. We should do this. Um, But this is a surprising joy here. He says, uh, Luke tells us in verse 11, now these were uh, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And you think, wow, these more noble-minded, they were the, the core of that Berean church. How's that sound? But they don't have a letter written to them. The Thessalonians do. So you kind of wonder, what? What's going on there? Well, we just don't know. But sometimes strong, sound churches evidently didn't need a letter written back. These people are in the word. They're, they're grounded in the word. And they, it says they received the word with great eagerness. I think uh, that openness is really a winsome quality. It's just to be in the word. God, what do you have for me today? Um, and it's, that's a, that's an adventure. It's a, you know, what Lord speak to me through your word. What are you going to show me today? And then they were examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So I think the surprising joy here is these more noble minded that they received the gospel. They had this eager quality about them. They examined the scriptures daily. They're students of the Bible. And uh, this, is, uh, this is something that's really, uh, it's captivating to read that. And you think, uh, wow, you know, there's, there's great things in the Word. So I've got, uh, I wanted to give a few points here on the Word of God, how important it is, how significant it is in our lives. So um, the first thing... Uh, about the word and why it's important is because it's truth. The word of God is truth. Genesis to Revelation. And um, I've got verses for this. Feel free to turn there in your Bible if you would like to. But over in John, i got to go the other way here. John eight thirty one. If you're, if you're turning the pages, I'll just tell you right now, you're a good Berean. Well, John 8, 31, right here. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth. There we are. And the truth will make you free. And... Um, that is a quality of the word. It's indispensable. It's truth. The word of God is truth. And that churches that are healthy are built on the word of God and uh, rely on the word of God. Um, the word of God, secondly, is authoritative. Authoritative. Second Timothy 3.16 All 
scripture is inspired by God. Now, folks, if that was all this verse said, that'd be enough to open your Bible every day and read it. But it goes on. All scripture is inspired by God. And by the way, this was written by Paul to Timothy, who was accompanying Paul on this missionary journey that we're reading about. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, uh, what scripture? All scripture. All. Uh, from time to time, you may run across somebody who, who treats the scripture like a smorgasbord. Oh, that's, that part's for me. That part's not for me. I'd like a lot of that and not so much of that. And we just kind of pick and choose. Don't fall into that trap because right here it is. All scripture. All scripture is what? God breathed. And, and that's a conjunction right there. It's pretty strong and profitable. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that we'll be built up, we'll be equipped, we'll be ready. So the word of God is authoritative. Uh, Thirdly, uh, the word of God is eternal and speaks concerning eternal matters. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, and if I could just add my two cents, and boy, does it ever wither. The flower fades all too quickly. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. I mean, what a foundation God provides for us with his word. I'm so thankful God is a speaking God. He speaks to us. He's given us his word. Uh, What a a sacred scripture we have. Um, So it's this word of God speaks of eternal matters and it is eternal. Um, uh, let's see, one, two, three, fourthly, the word of God is Christ centered. The word of God is Christ centered. Luke 24, Luke chapter 24. The focus of the word of God is Jesus. Jesus, Luke 24, verse 27 This is the two that were walking to Emmaus following the resurrection of Jesus. And this third person, Jesus, uh, joins them on the journey. And uh, these people are, these two are just despondent. They're so sad, disappointed. This is... And they're walking away from the action. And the Bible says, then beginning with Moses, so that'd be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and with all the prophets, and that would be all the prophets, he explained to them 
the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So that is the verse I point to that says the word of God is Christ-centered. Fifthly, the word of God is sanctifying. Uh, this would be John seventeen seventeen. The word of God has a sanctifying influence or effect on us, on the believer. John seventeen seventeen. So this is a high priestly prayer of Jesus. He is praying to his father and he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If there's ever a day that the church needs truth, if there was ever a day the world needs truth, it's today. I mean, my goodness gracious. Um, you, have, you have local churches that have forsaken the word of God. I mean, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand how somebody can be liberal, a theological liberal, and open a hymn book and sing the great hymns. I, but it happens all the time. It happens every Lord's Day. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. The Lord will sanctify us in his truth. Uh, it's really... Uh, the word of God. Uh, Isaiah 55, 11. The word of God is fruitful. Isaiah 55, 11. The Lord says this. Well, let's start in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout. That's what the rain and the snow does when it comes down from heaven. It waters the earth and it makes it bear and sprout and it furnishes seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He says, so will my word be. Which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The word of God is fruitful. I think that's a, it's a great promise to stand on when you're sharing the gospel, when you're, when you're, when you're trying by the grace and mercy of God and the wisdom of God to build a bridge with someone else's life and heart is just to realize the word of God, share the word of God and let that word of God uh, bring forth fruit. And then lastly, there's probably more, but lastly, the word of God is nourishing to the believer. And this is over in Matthew 4, verse 4. The word of God is nourishing. Jesus put it this way, and he was talking to the tempter, the devil, when he said this. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word 
that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you want to be a healthy believer, you realize that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable and realize that Jesus loves to light fires and prepare meals, which is, I just keep, I keep that picture in my mind of the resurrected Jesus on the shore, fixing breakfast. Well, he had a fire and he fed the disciples and that's what he does. And he will feed us. Just like the children of Israel received the manna from heaven. They got enough every day to satisfy their, their bodies, to give the body, their bodies the nutrients they needed. We take the word of God in. We have, the spiritual, we have a spiritual nourishing taking place in our lives. So um, the word of God, uh, powerful. Uh, that was powerful. Yeah, Hebrews 4. And uh, you can read that later on. It's active. It's sharp. It's it does it's it does its work. Um, so um, back to Acts 17, and we're about to wrap this up because there's just one more point. I thought about going every other one, making the point difficult. There, the difficulties inherent, so we don't forget that. Right? There are joys, but there are difficulties. Point one, difficulties. Point two, joys. Point three, more difficulties. Point four, some more joys. And then more difficulties. But the work is endless. That's point three. It's endless. I mean, what happened? Well, you know, it looked like the door got shut on Paul in Thessalonica. So what do you do? Well, let's just take it. Let's take it to the house. Let's go back to Tarsus. No, no, let's not pack it in. Let's find another open door. Let's bring the truth. Find another open heart. Find an open door and bring the truth to someone. It's an endless, endless ministry till the Lord comes or till he takes us home. And then the ministry continues. But um, think about that. The endlessness of the gospel ministry, the joys, this, I call them surprising joys, uh, because they are surprised. I think we do get wide-eyed when we see these joys pop up, these, uh, this fruit, people accept and receive Jesus. And then the difficulties are inherent in this. So next Wednesday, uh, we'll be in Athens with Paul. So it's, uh, I'm having a good time kind of tagging along here with Paul and his band of brothers and seeing what God is doing in the church. Now, what's on your heart tonight?